0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is January 18th, 2024, and I'm joined in studio today by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, Dr. Matthews, we're going to talk about a piece that you had in The Hill, Ah, uh, called "Don't Impose New Fears on Old Vaccines." Yes, so we have um, we've we've come through a period of time where enthusiasm for the COVID nineteen vaccine yielded to skepticism and disappointment mm-hmm. about the COVID nineteen vaccine. Um, but some of this anti-vax skepticism is apparently sort of crossing over and uh, infecting. Uh, yeah. Our belief in vaccines in general. It
1: has a broader impact. And so what's happened is last month, that is December 2023, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia is experiencing a measles outbreak. And we don't experience these things experience these things very often, but they're experiencing a measles outbreak. And so the Department of Public Health in Philadelphia released a an alert on January 4th, so just a few weeks ago. And I'm quoting, the city is working to identify everyone who may have been exposed, checking their vaccine status, warning them that they may have been exposed and issuing quarantine and exclusion recommendations where necessary. Because of several children who had traveled overseas who were unvaccinated came back with measles and because they were unvaccinated, they began to spread it. And so the alert goes on to explain the dangers that children face in this. One out of five unvaccinated people with measles is hospitalized. In addition, as many as one out of 20 children with measles gets pneumonia, and nearly one in three out of every 1,000 children with measles will die from respiratory or neurologic complications. So it's a serious deal. And, you know, the the point here is that we're seeing occasionally some outbreaks in diseases that we thought generally we had under control and really didn't see very often. So Dr. Paul Offit, who is the the hospital's vaccine education center, told NBC News, he said, measles is the most contagious of the vaccine-preventable diseases. So when there are lower immunization rates, that's the first disease to come back. And with measles it can still affect you two to three hours after a person with measles leaves the room. Mm. So for doctors, if you've been in the waiting room with measles, it can infect people two to three hours later. It is such a contagious disease. And so they really like to have 95, 96, 97% of the population vaccinated. If that's the case, you can have a certain amount of people who are not vaccinated. Sure. Because it's so wide, the vaccination is so widespread. But when it starts, that vaccination rate starts lowering then you get the outbreaks. So suddenly immunization rates are declining. Only 93% of kindergartners have received the MMR, that's the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine in 21, 2021, 2022, in that school year. Uh, below both the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention targeted 95% as well as their baseline of 94.7%. And so there's been this growing vaccine hesitancy out there and they're seeing it expand to other areas. Uh, Now, while states can or generally allow parents to exempt their children from recommended childhood vaccines, usually on religious or medical conditions, they have a medical reason they can't take it, exemption requests have been extremely low historically. That's changing. The CDC is reporting the highest U.S. exemption rate ever recorded. Even small immunization declines can lead to disease outbreaks. And so one of the questions is, why is that happening? I would argue that part of it has to go back to the Biden administration and its response to the uh, COVID-19 vaccines prior to Joe Biden being elected. Now, recall that just six weeks before the 2020 presidential election, Joe Biden expressed his COVID-19 vaccine doubts. Quote, I'm quoting him now. I trust vaccines, I trust scientists, but I don't trust Donald Trump. Yeah, this and, this was part of
0: the campaign against right. Trump, right? Because because the rapid development of the COVID-19 vaccine was being touted by Trump as one of the major accomplishments of his presidency. Exactly.
1: And Joe Biden is not elected president yet. This is in the fall of before the election. Mm-hmm. And so he's raising doubts about that, calling this the Trump vaccine. (laughs) And then the Associated Press reported, and I'm quoting here from the Associated Press, should they, that is Democrats, attack Trump's vaccine claims too aggressively, Democrats risk further undermining public confidence in a possible life-saving medicine while looking as though they are rooting against a potential cure. Once Biden won the election, he and Democrats flipped immediately no longer was it the Trump vaccine as the Biden administration shifted from skepticism to a vaccine mandate to businesses with more than 100 employees and even federal employees, including the military. What I'm saying here is that once Joe Biden and Democrats are saying, well, we don't know about these vaccines here, especially this Trump vaccine, once he's elected and now the burden is on him, now they've, become, they've got, shifted from being vaccine skeptics to vaccine hawks. Yep. We want everybody having a vaccine. And I would argue that raises a certain amount of doubt in the public about, well, you've got this question about the COVID-19, but what about vaccines generally?
0: Yeah, it, it, there's a sense in which politics contaminated the whole COVID-19 vaccine. A good term, contaminated. Yeah, I, 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 I I'm trying to be cute there. Uh, there is a sense in which politics contaminated the whole COVID-19 vaccine issue. First of all, of course, um, it was a it was a success story for American innovation, yes, even was. even if you don't want to give the credit to the Trump administration. It was a credit to American scientific innovation, how quickly they were able to genetically sequence the COVID-19 virus and how quickly they were able to print record pre- times. Exactly. Never been able to do right.
1: anything that quick.
0: So at that point, you literally had Democrats where I don't, so we're saying, I don't trust the Trump vaccine. Right. Right. Politics from the left was contaminated because Trump was in office. And then when Biden was in office, it was like Trump supporters, you know, that politics contaminated it. And the right. Biden administration is trying to make us take this, so we're not going to take it. And
1: public yeah, because health, they, If it was really good, they wouldn't have to force us exactly. to take it. So. so
0: so public health just got totally like swamped in the whole process. And I'm struck by the, the, the sort of macro view where one of the problems is that the, the overall success of vaccines in the past sort of like backfired when it came to COVID-19. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. If you get a vaccine for the mumps or for measles or rubella, rubella pertussis. or pertussis or chicken yellow pox. fever or chickenpox or smallpox or whatever, if you get that vaccine, that's lifelong protection. Generally or, speaking, or, yes. Or nearly lifelong protection. You get the vaccine. This, this is Society's understanding of vaccines is you get the vaccine, it encourages your body to build up antibodies, and you could basically walk into a fog of smallpox, you know, <laughs> two <laughs> weeks later, and you would not get smallpox, Probably right? Probably wouldn't get it. And so that that's sort of the public understanding of the way vaccines work. And so when the COVID-19 vaccine came out, I think we all felt, well, I felt, I thought, right, okay, this is great. You going to go get the COVID nineteen. In fact, it was like a series of two, wasn't it? You got like you got one, and then you got the you other. You
1: got two. Uh, you got two, and then later on, you got two yeah. more.
0: But 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 I don't think we knew we were going to have to have constant boosters. I mean, my impression was you're going to get a couple of shots, and then that's going to give you lifelong protection and against COVID nineteen. And I'm going
1: to go again is, is say is part of the Biden impression hmm. because what the president said was, and I'm quoting him here: "You are not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations." Yeah. And it was a pledge that yeah. was clearly
0: inappropriate it just turned out to not wrong. be it turned right. out to not be the case. And it turned out to that. be the case that if you if you got the COVID nineteen vaccinations and boosters, uh, it would help you. Um, it would help you either resist getting the vaccine, or it would help you have only a resist getting the virus, or it would help you have only a minor case. Right. And but it was not a it was not a preventative. And I think that in general, this was sort of a. This was contrary to public expectation.
1: It was. And, and part of that was, um, I mean, this is the Centers for Disease Control and, Pre- and Prevention. Dr. Fauci also sort of gave this impression that once we get these vaccines up and running, you are safe. Yeah. And they never, I don't recall them ever coming back and saying, you know, this is a, the COVID-19 is an upper respiratory disease similar to, not like, and mm-hmm. it's not the same as, but similar to the flu, similar to the cold, cold and so forth, you can get the flu vaccine every year. They come out with that and they try to match it to the new strains they think are going to be there. Right. And you might not get the flu or you might get a reduced version of the yeah. flu. But generally it's, it's it's thought that you probably won't get as bad a case.
0: But but the fact that the flu vaccine doesn't necessarily keep you from getting right. the it's flu. It's an upper
1: respiratory yeah.
0: disease that fact is part of the reason why a whole lot of people don't bother to get a flu vaccine. Right. Right. Because it's not a, it's not some sort of a guarantee. It's It's just not a guarantee. And so I think if, you know, once the COVID-19 vaccine was, was, was begun to be seen as similar to the flu vaccine, Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, well this is not necessarily going to do much for me. Right. Right. So, you know, the topic of this piece don't impose new fears on old vaccines. I think, goes to this point that unfortunately the net result of all of this the net result of overpromising and underdelivering, delivering mm-hmm. the net result of maybe the public's expectations being misled or at least confused is that it has contributed to an overall increase in skepticism of vaccines in general
1: right and pew has actually looked into this and they did the research and the surveys on this so they went and looked at the uh, the share of u.s adults who generally thought that uh, children should be re- uh, vaccinated for their basic, uh, basic MMR and yep. those, the, the basic children's vaccines mm-hmm. In June of 2016, 82% of adults said they should. Uh, in October, 2019, right before the pandemic, 82% said they should. By uh, March of, of 2023, it has dropped to 70%. So you have a 12 percentage point decline in that period. And when you look at uh people Republicans versus Democrats, Republicans had been at roughly 79% as opposed to 82% of those two years. They dropped down to 57% mm, in uh in 2023. Democrats, even though they're they were roughly a little bit lower 80 83 86%, they've stayed roughly the same place uh for in 2023, so well,
0: that's a good way to to erode your voting base is is by having your voters decide they don't believe in vaccines so, anymore.
1: So now, once Democrats are pushing these things, we see Democrat receive Republican hesitancy even more so than the population in general. Yeah. Even though there's a drop among, uh, you know, all people. It's a bigger drop among Republicans. And so they become even more hesitant about the standard MMR vaccines. And the thing about them is that the, the MMR, measles, mumps, rubella, they've been around for 50 years. We know these things work and they've, you know, they've been yeah, very, the, very I mean, successful. You read about these in the history books, right? Yeah.
0: The, the, these are marvels of, these are marvelous scientific
1: breakthroughs. And what science, what doctors will tell you is we largely eliminated polio here and we largely eliminated... Uh, measles and so forth occasionally you'll get an outbreak if somebody travels overseas and brings it back but for the most part we have eliminated these diseases among children but with the 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 growing vaccine hesitancy out there not just among COVID-19 but also among all vaccines it's creating a it's creating some new challenges for doctors because you may have some public uh, disease outbreaks here in the Yeah,
0: area. no I I think it's it's ominous. What you're describing is ominous because what was seen I think as a miracle of medical innovation. Mm-hmm. This idea that, you know, with enough research and enough funding and a little bit of luck, we have the ability to come up with treatments and vaccines for really debilitating conditions. And the the greatest hope for really the past twenty or thirty years, the greatest hope for a big breakthrough in cancer has been a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Exactly That's right. been the greatest yeah. hope. Um, so it's a terrible time for society to start deciding that they don't trust vaccines. You know, it strikes me that the big complaint until a few years ago about prescription drugs was just that they're expensive. Mm-hmm. But now you actually have at least a portion of the Republican Party or the conservative movement that now feels like almost like, you know, quote unquote, big pharma is the enemy and pharmaceutical innovation is to be resisted and distrusted. Mm -hmm. And it used to simply be that there were just some marginal groups that didn't believe in vaccines and blood transfusions, as you pointed out earlier,
1: for religious reasons or whatever. You know, it's and it's interesting because, for instance, the the Biden administration imposed upon the military, you have to get the vaccine. Some Navy SEALs decided not to do that. They had a objection to mm-hmm. that. Ironically, my guess is because they're Navy SEALs, they probably had to get yellow fever and malaria vaccine. Right, they, right. they got all those others and yeah. they didn't have an objection to those, but they did have an objection to COVID nineteen. Yeah. But because of the of the growing hesitancy about COVID nineteen, and it did not help that Dr. Fauci was out there sort of arrogantly spouting off various things that mm-hmm. ended up not being true and they the CDCs flipped initially. They said, No, you know, don't, don't wear a mask unless you had the N ninety five mask. It's not gonna help you right. a bit. Two or three months later they're saying we won't want you to wear a mask. In fact, we think it'd be better if you wear two masks. It's yeah. just those yeah. no, kinds there, of things were, there, there's were no, really There's a problem. no question
0: that the COVID-19 pandemic eroded the public's confidence in the public health establishment mm-hmm. because, among other things, the public health establishment proved itself to be dishonest and incompetent. Right. In many areas. In many areas. Yeah. So, you know. And flip-floppers yeah, in many so, Yeah. So public skepticism is not unwarranted no, about that. not at all. Um, but what is a tragedy is if a non-marginal... Proportion of the public develops a distrust for medical innovation. Because as you and I have both mentioned, it's okay if a marginal amount of the public doesn't get vaccinated. Right. That's okay. As long as enough you, people are vaccinated, as long as you have a critical mass, yeah. right? Um, but if you start getting to the point where, you know, 30 or more percent of the population just says, you know what, we're just not going to get vaccinated anymore. Now you're talking about a situation where an aggressive virus could really burn its way through a population and right. do a lot of harm.
1: And you can have outbreaks in it. And we're getting some outbreaks in things that the doctors are saying, we had these under control. We really haven't seen this for a while. Now yeah. we're getting some ag- uh, some outbreaks. And the CDC experiencing the largest number of requests for exemptions from vaccines for children going to school yep. that they've ever seen. So it, it strikes me that
0: there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of principles floating around here. One is the idea of freedom of conscience. Mm-hmm. I think I remember when 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 uh, when the COVID-19 pandemic started and this issue of the vaccine came up and there was this issue of government mandates and I can remember saying to people I can't imagine a bigger violation of individual liberty than the government forcing you to inject chemicals into your body, mm-hmm. you know? So I was always uncomfortable with the idea of a government-mandated vaccine. Right. I, I just It just struck me, as long as you're willing to deal with the inconveniences and risks of not having the vaccine, you should be free to do that, right? And so we run into this freedom of conscience issue with employment. Like if your employer requires it, then, you know, you're free to reject it but you also have to deal with consequences. You might have to change jobs, right? right?
1: And the same thing is for for children going children to, school to school. Because exactly. the vast majority of states require uh right. several vaccines before children can start public school. If you don't want to do that, you there are exemptions or you can do homeschooling, you can right. find other small groups that you can exactly. the, the pod schooling that they sometimes do. Yep. So no no
0: one's actually going to hold you down. No government official is going to actually hold you down and forcibly inject you with a chemical, right? Right. So you have freedom of conscience, but you also have to be willing to deal with the inconveniences and risks that come along with that. So it strikes me that that's an important issue. But the other important issue that strikes me is a lack of belief in human progress because one of the biggest areas of human progress has been medical innovation, mm-hmm. has been prescription drugs and vaccines and cancer treatments. And, you know, it was only a few years ago that we actually came up with a way to cure hepatitis C, not just treat it, but cure it. Right. You know, um, th- I mean, these are wonderful, positive things. This is a whole idea of human progress. And it strikes me that uh, you've got to find a way to balance freedom of conscience on things like that with the idea of an ongoing belief in human progress and if you if we lose our belief in human progress if we leave if we lose our belief that that uh medical innovation can continue to make our lives less painful more disease-free longer and healthier that that has really sort of foreboding
1: consequences going forward and you know there's one other thing here i think People have got to sort of think rationally about some of these things. I do hear people say today, I would not, you know, if it were me again, I wouldn't get the COVID-19 vaccine because I have heard that some people die from that. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, given millions of people given the vaccine. It wouldn't surprise me if there weren't some, some bad reactions when you do that many people but I hear advertisements for prescription drugs on television all the time. And they run through a quick thing of the, of the, uh, <laughs> this,
0: this always cracks me up
1: <laughs> of, 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 the adverse reactions. Right. Or and, and they oftentimes end and you may die.
0: Right. Exactly. And, and
1: I very seldom hear somebody say, well, I wouldn't go and get that drug because there's a very, very low possibility I may die. In fact, when I used to be on the medical school and we were doing this, <laughs> if people had medical conditions, they wanted to make sure they got the active ingredient, not the placebo group, yep. even though we didn't know what the results could be. Right. You might die from that. And they were eager to take the drug. They wanted the active ingredient. They wanted to be in the group that's that's taking the active drug, not the control group that had the placebo.
0: So we did, a, you and I did a couple of years ago, one of our Policy Basics podcasts on the idea of the precautionary principle, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea that there are risks to almost everything in a freedom loving society in a society that values freedom you recognize the risks but you don't let the risks stop you from moving forward right and mm-hmm. so yeah it might be that, that one in 10,000 people dies from a from a vaccine or a treatment or whatever but you you can't ignore the fact that 9,999 people are benefited by that treatment, right? Mm-hmm. And so you don't you, you don't want to be in a situation where you preclude the benefit to the 9,000 people because there might be risk to the 1 in 10,000 and people. And we do
1: the same thing in every aspect of our life. Right. When I get in a car and drive someplace, there is a chance I will be killed mm-hmm. in an accident. Yep. It's a small chance, right. but there is a chance. When I get in an airplane and I fly to another city... There's a chance that that airplane could have a problem, and I could die. That's exactly Very right. Very small chance, but we weigh those risks, and for the most part, we say we'll go ahead and and uh, take the risk.
0: Right, and so we don't want we don't want government cutting off our access to things because there's a one in ten thousand chance of someone being harmed. But we also don't want the public in general to become afraid of things because there's, there's a one in ten thousand chance of being harmed. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, this is just a, this is just like risk reward calculations, and we, as you point out. We do this maybe even unthinking a dozen times a day. Sure. You know, I mean, yes, you could walk outside and you could slip and fall and break your neck. Especially in some of the ice. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So so we don't want to go through life thinking somehow that the goal of life is to avoid all risks. And I think that's a good way to sort of summarize this whole discussion about about vaccines and vaccine fear is that, yes, there are people who are harmed by, by vaccines. Yes, the public health establishment misled us to some degree on COVID-19. Um, yes, as it turns out, the uh, COVID-19 vaccinations don't give you some sort of lifelong immunity, like maybe we thought about at the beginning. But we we certainly should not extend that level of skepticism to to all vaccines, especially to proven vaccines in the past been around for decades exactly and to new treatments in the future Mm -hmm. that could that could um, that could pose tremendous benefit to human flourishing and human progress. As you
1: pointed out the the cutting edge of medicine right now is looking for vaccines because what vaccines do is they they uh, spur your immune system to stop something a disease when it's trying to come in so a, a vaccine isn't a cure it's an attempt to try to inspire your immune system yep. so that you natu- your natural immune system actually addresses it.
0: You would have to say there is a likelihood that at some point in time, who knows how long, but at some point in time, there will be a vaccine for dementia. There'll be a vaccine for ALS. Arthritis. There'll be a vaccine for arthritis. There'll be a vaccine for many forms of, of cancer. Uh, and, and so this is an area of tremendous potential benefit, uh, not a minefield that we need to be terrified right. of. Okay, very good. I appreciate that. You can read Dr. Matthews' piece in The Hill. Uh, That's an online publication, The Hill, where Dr. Matthews has a regular column. Don't impose new fears on old vaccines. We would invite you to check out our website at ipi.org and to sign up there if you'd like to receive notices of all of our new podcasts, new content, and upcoming events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also share it with others, and you can help sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.